0: All right, if you are with me, I want you to take note of the fact that we're in a mess. Uh, I pondered whether I should, that would be one of my opening statements, I said, it's kind of negative and gloomy. I will go beyond that, but I want you to know something. We're in the middle of a cultural revolution. We've got political challenges about the score, I need not enumerate them, it's not like we've been in the 2024 election since uh, 2020. That's the way things have changed. All oh, the good old days when it just came up later, <laughs> not so anymore. And it brings so many, so many difficulties, so many complications, so many hard choices, so many disappointments, those things and more. There's a breakdown in the family. Families are breaking apart, breaking apart in not in especially in new ways, just old ways because of sin, which is severing relationships we have the border issues in this in the south and nobody seems to really want to take that matter seriously they talk about the problem but don't handle it and it just seems to be open borders shouldn't be that way there should be order to it when god when government follows god's order and his moral law there is safety there is order there is justice and there is righteousness and then here we over the last night, again yesterday afternoon, uh, more shootings. Seems like there's just almost one or two or three that are hardly publicized, though they're going on in big cities every week, every night. And so these are the things. And then, as crossing my crossing my eye this morning, was this uh, gender-affirming uh, surgeries nearly tripled since the pre-pandemic. Folks, this is really bad stuff. I know we, we can get used to this kind of thing, but this is awful as to what's going on. I, I want to elaborate, but these are bad things, and I've just skimmed across the surface. And what's happening in the midst of all of this mess we're in is that we're searching for a Messiah. And Americans want a Messiah of some kind or another, I don't place a lot of confidence in the general electorate, it's so fickle and there is so much uh, at play these days, generationally, and what is happening to the church in America and the loss of a good conscience amongst so many. And so there, people are looking for some, <laughs> trying to hope that there is some messianic hope in the presidential election that somebody's going to rise and take care of everything won't happen never has happened and not to be solely negative about it but we pray and we more about that later on as we proceed somebody we're looking for somebody to lead us to the promised land and this is not to minimize what Martin Luther King said in that famous speech at the mall in Washington back on uh, it was on August the 28th and uh, when he had a vision that's not the vision of the cultural movement today, I can tell you that. It's been moved away from. And there were elements of it that were quite admirable. Not all, but many were, where you could have this this uh, population of ours, a mix of ethnic groups and skin colors and so forth, the, the old terminology, a melting pot. And some of that just seems to have evaporated and it's become more balkanized. So that's where we are. And then, not to overlook personal things. I'm speaking to people, you're probably, you could be in a mess. What's your mess? Uh, You may be like, but you may be like the the man who said, well, I'm on third base, but I didn't hit a triple. And maybe you're there uh, in some fashion, form or fashion, that uh, you need some comfort. You need some calmness, you need some perspective, you need some renewed joy. You're in the right place if you're with me in Isaiah in the 11th chapter. But we need to do this and stay with me on this. It's going to be a little different right up front. There was something that I was not able to get to, and I want to go back to it in Isaiah chapter 1. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to go and look in chapter 1 of Isaiah. And then we're going to hurry hurry on over. Just imagine this is kind of a bus, a tourist bus trip. You know how they work. You find a destination. You get the bus. You got somebody handling your baggage and you know where you're going and they tell you when to get off and when to get on and you stop at interesting spots. All right, get on the bus. We've got to go back to a place that we missed the last bus trip. And this is chapter 1 and verse 26. I'm selecting chapters from Isaiah. We're not going straight through the book. Well, though. That's a, that's a wonderful, wonderful venture. And we did it once upon a time. But I'm taking selected chapters. And chapter 1 I thought would be the, a good place for us to start. And we got down to where verse 26. And there's a lead up to it. Here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. And Isaiah is speaking to a people, Judah, the southern two tribes. It's around 739 B.C., over 700 years before the appearance of Jesus Christ, the greater son of David. God had called Israel into being, two peoples, northern tribes, southern tribes, Israel in the north, Judah in the south, Judah along with Benjamin, and with Jerusalem, and King David, and the kings, uh, Saul, and then Solomon or David and Solomon and you are generally probably familiar with that uh, structure of history and where Judah is now Judah the southern tribes they are in some very very difficult uh, in some deep weeds the northern tribes they're going to go out into uh, into a captive uh, an invasion a captive situation and Assyria is there's set the map uh, what am I looking at no that's a flower all right let's, uh, yeah, that's what I want that uh I want you to notice something on the map if you will that I'm going to liken the situation to uh, cats and mice cats like to chase mice who are the big cats one of the big cats is Assyria a mighty empire yet yeah, gone but not forgotten and it ruled the world as it was known in that day and it was poised up to the north and to the east of israel and there is israel sitting on the little land bridge that god had ordained for them where he had ordained for them to be because it was a crossroads of the nations from europe from asia from africa it was a land bridge key location if you're going to spread the news about god's salvation and conversion through God's provision in sacrifice and atonement. So there are mice, now who are the mice? You can see the mice in the little places around, Edom and Moab and Ammon and Syria, you see those little places. They're really, in terms of military might and influence, they are mice, but then you got the big cat. And there's another big cat down to the south and to the west, Egypt, cat mouse. So here is Isaiah, he's speaking in this opening chapter, he, God through Isaiah, comes after He comes after Judah with both guns blazing. And then he comes down to verse. I am hurrying to get to this uh, verse uh, 24 of chapter one. <clears throat> what he does in this chapter is that he's laying out the sins of the people. Here is how you've wandered, and how far away from me and my law you have gone. And there must be repentance, repentance, repentance. There must be a pivot, there must be a change, covenantal repentance. As a people, as a nation, a unique situation because Israel was a theocracy. So there had to be covenantal repentance. Everybody should be turning back to the law, whether you are a believer or not, in the sense that you get back to that moral law which God had given you to live by. And so with that appeal and what God says he's going to do and then we get to the 24th fourth verse he says therefore the lord god of hosts the lord of sabaoth the lord of armies the mighty one of israel the strong one he declares ah i will be relieved of my adversaries and avenge myself on my foes of whom is he speaking He's speaking of Judah, his covenant people and to whom, with whom he has this arrangement that he would work through them, use them, set them apart to bless the nations. And they said, my wrath is coming your way. I will also turn my hand against you and will smelt uh, your dross as with lie. It's like putting metal in a furnace in a kiln. And to burn off all the impurities and you will see then what is really important and it is not that which you, you're, the kind of worship you've indulged in and you're going through all this ritual and doing these uh, things that I actually command you to do, but you're not really, you're, your soul is far away from that. You're just going through the motions. You're, you're, you're planning your own escapades, your own sin in the pro- process. So then he goes further and says, and will remove all your alloy. I'm going to purify you. I'm going to do that with the heat of a furnace of judgment, of of divine chastening, covenant chastening for his people. And then, all that to get here. (laughs) Then, I will restore your judges as at the first, and your counselors as at the beginning. After that, you will be called the city of righteousness, a faithful city. You'll be called just city, faithfulness city. I'm going to give you a name like that, and it will spread abroad and make your fame increase because you are following my righteousness and my justice. But you see this little verse tucked in here? Here's why I point to it. When did it happen? In pieces, but never fully. Here, I'll just alert you. I can't linger on this. What the prophet is doing here and why i wanted you to see this is this is typical of what the prophets do and that they use a a means of communicating called foreshortening you know what foreshortening is there was a time when i could have illustrated with a camera but people don't use cameras anymore they use their phones and i can use it with a drive to dalton or to a drive to chattanooga which we've made hundreds of times and there is a place when you get on up near Rosaka and somewhere up in there and you come over down and you're going down a hill and you can look out there and you can see some mountains the first time you really see them. But it's a bit deceptive visually, because what you're looking at is that you're seeing some mountains, but between those mountains there are valleys. You don't see those. You just see the mountains look like they're almost right up on top of one another. That's called, well, visually that's foreshortening. You don't, get the, you don't get the depth of field, we used to call it in photography. You don't get depth of field in perspective, correct? The prophets use this in a literary way. They would describe events and say, well, this is going to happen. And it would happen, but not fully. You leave the passage, and the passage is just begging for more. Is this all there is? And the answer is no. This is what is known as foreshortening. You're looking at what? You're looking at some repair work, some repentance, some change, but it never gets to this place where it's described in lavish language. And it's looking down the way to the coming kingdom when God's going to set everything right and Messiah will come and establish, the, the, Jesus Christ will come and be the king in the millennial kingdom that day to come, still in our future. That's foreshortening. So you're going to find this in the prophets. and This is what I think some people who are just getting their first introduction to the prophets and they read it. It's... But if you know some of these little special ground rules for interpreting prophecy, they can help. All right, that's all, I'm going... all I want to say at this point regarding that. There was more that we could have looked at and we could have squeezed it a bit more. But let's get back on the bus, okay? All right, if you daydreamed, get back on the bus. Don't get left. Are you on it? Okay, here we go. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look out the window. And I'm going to have to be, as the driver of this bus, I'm going to have to be sure that we keep moving. But I want to show you what's, what goes unfolds. We're just going to pass some things. As the prophet goes along, he's going to go over into the second chapter and he's going to talk some more about this coming kingdom in the first four verses. Some fascinating descriptive terms are used there in the first four verses to describe this coming kingdom. Then, all right, next we go along, we look out the right-hand side of the window, and what do we see? We see a messianic passage like chapter 4 in verse 2. In that day the branch of the Lord... Whoa! Branch? hmm isn't that in the title of today's message in Isaiah 11? The Branch of Jesse? Yes, hang on that word. Two different Hebrew words, the one used here and the one used over in Hebrew in chapter 11, but really no significant difference in the fact that, as we'll see, there is one king who is going to come up out of the Davidic dynasty that he is going to be superlative, extraordinary. He will be the N1 the, the king. Not like these others who fumble the ball away every time. So here is this millennial kingdom described in 4. All right, you with me? We're still on the bus. We've not gotten out at the next stop. We're just looking out the window. And we look in chapter 5, you get a series of woes. And oh, woe this, woe that, woe this, woe that. Look what you've done. One very familiar one to you in this fifth chapter. You've turned evil into good. and You call evil good and good evil. Oh, this is not looking good. The landscape is a little rough out there. Then you come into the sixth chapter, look out the window on the left-hand side of the bus, and you'll look over here and you see where Joshua, or excuse me, where uh, Moses gives the account of his own his conversion and his commission to the prophetic ministry. And then it left an imprint on him that never went away. Woe is me, I'm undone. I've seen the holiness of God. And what and what a great responsibility I have on my shoulders. Then you get into the seventh chapter. All right, we're flying along down the road. And then this is that chapter of seven in verse 14 where you have the prophecy of the coming virgin, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The virgin will be born. And then we get into the ninth chapter. We'll slow down just a little bit. In the ninth chapter, he really goes off, he, the prophet Isaiah, and describes the Messiah. You know this. We get to it. We've done it many times at a Christmas occasion. And when he describes the unto us a child is born unto us, a son is given. You get the, the, the refrain of the Messiah the, the, uh, comes to, the, to mind. And so what lavish, beautiful language. But all right, we haven't stopped the bus. We've got to keep going. Then we get on into the 10th chapter. And in the 10th chapter, we watch some storm clouds kind of come in all right it's going to be could be a rough ride look there's a storm coming and he describes a nation you remember i said the cat nations and the mice nations here is the cat nation of syria It's gets to be the focal point of this 10th chapter and they are marked they are looming to the north they are itching to get out and expand their empire and take care of these little kingdoms down to the south and to the west israel being one of them and judah being another And they will come, and they will take Israel out, the northern tribes, in the year 722. But then you come on down to the end of the 10th chapter. We're about ready to stop the bus, and we're going to get off. But right at the end of the 10th chapter, he he uses language here that's quite arresting. Behold, the Lord, I'm at verse 33 of chapter 10. Behold, the Lord, the God of hosts, will lop off the boughs with a terrible crash. Oh, Isaiah loved metaphors. He loved the word pictures. He's an earthy man. These prophets put it right to cookies on the bottom shelf. And he's describing us like all of these men are coming in with chainsaws, except they're not men. There's one. And the one who's coming in with the ultimate chainsaw is going to cut down the army, the forest-like army of the Assyrians, and they're going to be cut down. And their feet are going to be, legs are going to be cut out from under them. And he says, and all those tall in stature will be cut down, verse 33. Those who are lofty will be based, abased. And he will cut down the thickets of the forest with an iron axe, and Lebanon will fall by the mighty one. The mighty one is the punishing God of Israel. And they will be cut down to size. This is an interesting side note here. It is to me. You know, nations come up, and nations have their international influence. And if you study history, hopefully you study history you can see the sands of time as it works through the centuries and see there will be empires like the like the napoleonic uh, 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 wars and napoleon trying to expand the french what he wanted to make the french empire then you get into the 20th century and what what the the, the communists ought to do and and the ussr and then on and on you can go with those who seek to establish their control and now we see red China, the, the, the rich, uh, the Chinese Communist Party, trying to flex their muscles and increase their navy, put more submarines under the water, put more battleships out, more cruise missiles. And so nations come up. But one thing God's people ought to know when they look at a prophet like Isaiah, they come and go. They strut across the stage all haughty and arrogant. They're going to take care of the future of the world. Oh, no, you're not. And they are brought down in multiple ways. Now, okay, let's pull over the curb and stop the bus. All right? You ready? Here's what we've got. You know what we're going to do? I always like this part of touristing. We've traveled a lot through the years and have done this occasionally. I, I hesitate to use the word, but I will. I like to stop at those spots that are museums, but they give you pictures. You get a little mini movies. You know, you go in this little room, and there are a lot of other things you can see there. And when you go through one of these kinds of museums, but you get in this room, and it gives you a video. It's almost like the, uh, the entrance way. That, that can work. When you come into a, a, a museum, you've got the, the tourist table. And you get the big picture. So here it is. And we're going to stop in there. You know what you got? You got a little movie. It's not long. 16 verses. You know, when you read these things and you say, well, this was a sermon. Say 16 verses. Why is it taking you so long, preacher, to go through this when it's just 16 verses? Do you think, do you think Isaiah's sermon was just that long? Probably not. What you have in these sermons, like chapter 1, is you get a synopsis. You get a summary. You get the high points. All right, here's where we are in chapter 11. Here's why I chose chapter 11. I chose chapter 11 because it's so exemplary and prophetic and Messianic prophecy. You know, there are at least 22 Messianic prophecies in the book of Isaiah. That would be a wonderful study, wouldn't it? Just study the Messianic prophecies in Isaiah. But chapter 11 stands out. It's, it's really superlative. There are at least four of them in this chapter now, if you're reading fast and you're not paying attention, you could easily miss them. But they're here. And But let me give you a little uh, idea of what's going on in the background of this 11th chapter. Just take a couple of minutes. You know, the book of Isaiah started out by telling us who the kings were at the time of Isaiah. It says that this, he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Okay, you say, okay, so what? Big deal. I want you to lock in on that one Ahaz. He's the one that we need to take note of as Isaiah comes and speaks to Israel. I appreciate this 11th chapter, this little sermon, and who the king was and what the conditions were. I gave you a little hint of it earlier. But here is uh, here's what's going on. I already told you about Assyria. I don't need to rehearse that. But here is this King Ahaz. He was 20 years old when he began his reign of 16 years. He, the scripture says he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. And that's a bit of an understatement. He was an apostate. He didn't really care about following the righteousness and justice of God and the law of God. He sacrificed his son to Moloch, a false god. How about that? Not sacrificing a child, thinking that this would bring prosperity, victory in battle. He made images, made images to Baal, the storm god, the god of the Canaanites, to worship this god. He had no faith in God. He sought protection for... uh, from a heathen nation rather than God, he really begins to work out to do a little international diplomacy. He gets a Syria on, Syria's still up there, the big cat, and he, he starts playing footsie and making overtures and getting. Could you take these two predator nations, many nations, actually mice, Syria and Israel? And could you take care of these? And, you know, he, he robs the national treasury, what there was left of it, pays off to Assyria. You say, well, isn't that just a little wise international diplomacy? You know what he should have done? It's very clear in the law of God. Kings, you go to God. As one of the, one of the requirements for a king is that you are not to build up your defense department. Now, I'm not saying that's the way that nations today work. But in Israel, God says, listen, I'm your warrior king. I will take care of you. I got your back. But they didn't listen to him. So they went to these pagan idol-worshipping nations, like Assyria, to give them the protection. Mistake. It's like making a deal with a crocodile, you know. You hope to feed others to the crocodile to save you so that you end up being the last one eaten. Uh Uh-huh. He substituted a pagan altar for the altar of God. He went was impressed, impressed with the way the Assyrians had constructed a great altar to their false gods, and he was wowed by it. Ahaz was, said, we got to get this one built for us. Replacing the altar, you remember the book of Exodus? Replacing the altar that God had mandated. He employed an apostate high priest to read animal entrance to determine the animal animal... Uh, intestines, entrails, so as to determine the will of God. That's pretty bad, folks. Like, you know, breaking an egg and see how it falls out and trying to read it to see what you should do that day. Uh, Well, he desecrated the furniture in the temple in order not to offend the pagan king of Assyria. He broke God's commandments as fast as he could. Okay, you get the picture? We're still in that little room now. We've got these four pictures. There are four frames, and I'm going to try to treat them as as carefully and as accurately as I can. There are four of these in this chapter. You've got them there in your notes. The first frame is what I would have entitled just The King from Jesse. What's this? Who's Jesse? You know who Jesse is, don't you? I had a friend I played with as a kid named Jesse, but no. Uh, This is Jesse, the father of David. And here is Jesse, and it says this in interesting language. Look at it. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from the roots will bear fruit. We'll pause there. You get that picture, don't you? I got one. I got a living example of it out by my mailbox. We had a big bush out there, and it's beautiful in the fall. But, you know, you pull out and you can't see up the hill. and I kept procrastinating. We've got to do something to this. So I cut it. I cut it way down. Way down. Didn't get the roots. But I could, I can see. Well, guess what's happening. And these little shoots are coming back up. You can't take us out. You can't make me out of there. There it comes. And, it, hey, it's tolerable. But he's describing here a shoot. this shoot. Who is the shoot? What's the stomp? The stomp is the Davidic dynasty. And why does he describe it as being cut down? Because it did get cut down. And you, the, you had Assyria and you had others who would come in and were just chopping away. But here it's ultimately the discipline of the Lord that has brought them down to a chopped down kind of appearance. You're not what you used to. Remember the old days? Oh, you remember, remember David? Talk about the warrior king! What a man! What a man! Mm, Good, but didn't work out too well. Then Solomon, oh, genius, genius in terms of wisdom, wisdom that he he had the he had the sense to ask God. God, I want wisdom. How to govern these peoples? And God told him, "You asked for the right thing." And well, the story of Solomon doesn't turn out too well. It's ugly. And then God begins to, all oh, this, the chastening process that goes into this chastening, chasing. It's mentioned in Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26. God says, Listen, we got a covenant. I've got an arrangement with you. You do these things right and you'll be blessed. You do them wrong and you're going to suffer the consequences. All right, the root, the root, the root, the root, chopped down. But out of this Davidic dynasty, he's saying, There's going to come a shoot who is going to grow and develop and do extraordinary things. And so God's kingdom is going to arise. The kingdom that he's promised, the kingdom that's coming, it's going to arise. It's going to come up from the stump. Oh, and notice this here. Can't miss this. I'm glad we stopped in this little room and looked at this little motion picture. Because guess what you have in this? you got some really rich theology here that could miss the eye. What is it? Do you see the Trinity in these? In this? Actually, it's in the opening two, three verses. you see it? You have God, the Father. He speaks of this. He says, and he will delight. He, well, who is the he? Well, he's going to delight in the fear of the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. But wait a minute, we're not through yet. Go back and look around. Are you, are you looking? It says in verse two, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Oh, does that ring a bell? Oh, I think of Matthew. Matthew and chapter 3. And where he's going to come up and into, come to baptism. John's going to baptize the Messiah. And the Spirit comes as a dove comes upon him. So here is the stump. Let's go back to the stump. The stump root. All that will be left of the Davidic dynasty after God's judgment and his just discipline of the stump. And you know what he's doing here. He's really playing off of the Davidic covenant. Do you know your covenants? Important to know them. There's the Noahic covenant. There is the uh, Mosaic covenant. There's the Abrahamic covenant. Oh, forget that one. The Abrahamic covenant. There's the Noahic covenant. There is the uh, Abrahamic covenant. And then there is the Mosaic covenant, which was kind of a new co- uh, a covenant. It was an unusual one, but it was... a. Very important movement of the plan for the kingdom of God. And then there was the Davidic covenant, and then there was the new covenant. So you got to sort the covenants out. This is bound back, goes back into the Davidic covenant, the arrangement that God made with David that a descendant would sit on his throne who will rule in the coming kingdom. That's what this chapter is about. Now, watch it, watch how it proceeds. This is, other prophets do this, refer to the same thing. If we were going through Jeremiah, that would be a good venture. Here's what Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6 says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So in his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Isn't this fascinating? And what do you find when you open up the book of Matthew? That first verse. You know what the first line is in the book of the, in the New Testament in Matthew? Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and deal wisely, shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. But here is the coming King David. So you see the linkage? See the flow. Keep that in mind. So here it is. Now, what you want to pick up on is the fact that the way this root or shoot, the shoot is described is quite interesting. Look look with me. Get, Get your focus. I have to look a little more carefully. I don't focus as fast as I used to. It gets a little annoying sometimes. So I'm going to pause here for a second. Okay, I got it. Look, one, Spirit of the Lord. You with me? I'm going to count. Then there is the, uh, we'll rest on him, and a spirit of wisdom. And then three, understanding. Four, Spirit of counsel. Five, strength. Six, Spirit of knowledge. Seven, fear of the Lord stacked up oh I like that number seven often the way of the seven spirits of the Lord of the, of the spirit himself in the book of the revelation but here's what it's doing this king that's coming this shoot of David the messiah who will come and establish his rulership in the city of Jerusalem that first of all he's going to have wisdom the kind of like not what we see we wish we could see it is that the skill of doing everything God's way, that's what the wisdom is. That's the kind of key he's going to be. He'll do everything the way God wants it to be done. Speaking of his administrative skills that need to govern people. Oh, is that ever in demand? Then this understanding, that's knowing what is right and what is wrong and then doing the right things. You know, you can't help but think of Solomon who who was given wisdom, but... You begin to behave very poorly. Uh, Okay, I won't stay there, but... Oh, and you know what I have to mention here? You know what this requires? If it's going to be a person from the dynasty of David, it requires an incarnation. An incarnation. A human being. Who would that be? You know. Uh, More on that as you go through the book of Isaiah. Then he said the spirit of counsel... That's knowing human nature and how to govern people. Woo. Sure could use that. Boy, that uh, debate the other night illustrated some of these deficiencies. Some deficiencies here. Strength. Luke twenty-four nineteen, and he said to them, "What they?" They said to him, "Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people." And he will have the strength to do. This is speaking of the Messiah. He'll have the power. He'll be omnipotent. He can do anything. And he cannot, he cannot be defeated. Spirit of knowledge. Matthew 11:27. 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So he's going to be wise, he's going to be submissive, living in accordance with the will of God. This is the perfect king that is coming. This is the, this is the Messiah that our world rather pitifully falls all over itself to try to create to get us to the promised land of this coming kingdom. And you know there is a, just an aside here, there is a very active, forceful, and influential movement right at work in our nation right now that's trying to create a utopia. Oh, they'll talk in terms of socialism, redistributing the wealth, and making everybody equal. And they'll have all this language to make you think that they're they're promising what's going to be a better day. Don't believe it. This is the king who will come. And this is actually, if you look at it closely, this is a contrast to the religious leaders in Isaiah's day who were unconcerned about following God's word. What a contrast. Are you glad we stopped in this room? get this encouragement? All right, let's go forward. Now, if you look at verses 3 to 5, you'll notice the rule and the ways in which it's going to come out. I like this little statement here. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. A little word that's translated delight in the Hebrew is actually the Hebrew word for smell. (laughs) Smell. I have a note. I can actually read it if I focus. Smell. This means it will be the pleasure it's, that's the idea. It will be a pleasure, acceptable and wonderful it will be. And what he's saying at this point is that he's, as he goes on to say, he will not judge with his eyes, What by what his eyes can see. He will not be limited to human perception. You see that? He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor will he make a decision by what his ears hear, because he'll have omniscience, omniscience in a person. And he will have omnipresence in what he's able to see and comprehend. He sees all things. And so, he's not limited. He can't be deceived. I couldn't help but be a little encouraged by this. little, that's a litotes figure of speech, meaning much encouraged, I would say. Guess what? He won't need the FBI. He won't need the CIA. He won't need the courts. He won't need witnesses. He won't be limited to his senses like human beings. No. And it says he's going to strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And he is going to come. And when the Messiah comes to set up his kingdom, he's going to take care of business. And those who have been against him and who in their pompous pride, who have tried to assert their own kingdoms and their kings, he's going to take it all down. We're not through with that. We'll see where it goes. Now, let me pause here at St. things. I think that it goes, it's important. We're still looking at this first frame. We haven't moved yet. We've got three others to go. But this one, we've got to get here. You know, when you come to a passage like what I'm reading right at the moment, and can I finish reading Let me finish reading it. And then I've got something I want to give to you that's important, very important, An in interpretation, how to interpret scriptures. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. (laughs) I couldn't help but think of an old movie when I saw this. When I read this just the way mine worked. Couldn't help but, the movie, help but think of the movie Shame. You've seen these kinds of movies. Bad guys are all over the place. They got a five-day growth of beard. They look like they haven't bathed in a year. They're all, you know, drinking their whiskey and a little drunk and smart attically and bullying everybody and beating up people, shooting the, the innocent people who come into town. And then the hero shows up. But he doesn't have a gun on. What are you going to do? everybody else got these guns hanging off of them and then that dramatic moment in the movie oh that's a dramatic moment finally after you know it just push comes to shove something's got to be done got to take care of these people and the way the camera works is it follows him and he's you're, you're not seeing anything but his hand go up to a gun belt hanging on a rack and he puts it on and he straps it around and he tightens it up And he takes the gun out, and he twirls it, twirls it. Woo! What's coming? Okay, well, that's enough of that story, but he takes care of business. This is describing Jesus putting his belt because he's come to take care of business. He's coming to take care of business. See that, know that, appreciate that. Now, another thing that's so important at this point. And it's a matter of how you interpret the Bible and interpret the prophets. I'll say two things, and we'll move along. Two things. One, first of all, you know how we interpret the prophets? Do you know? Same way you interpret the Bible. The literal interpretation. Oh, do people make fun of this. Literal? Yes means you take people in the language and the ordinary use, customary use of the way we use words. It includes figures of speech. Don't make the mistake of saying, oh, you got literal, then you got all these figures of speech. They're not two different things. It's just part of what the, the literal process. There's, there's, there's liber, uh, literal figurative and there's literal plain, but it's all literal. Don't get trapped by that. I'm saying that for a reason. There's some who want to come to this and say, well, we can't take this literally. We've got to use a metaphor here. Wait a minute. Are you trying to evaporate the meaning of the passage? So that's the first thing I want to say. Why am I saying that? Because what we're going to be seeing through this passage, I can't expand on it more than just note, have you notice it now, is that there are some who come here who want to take the physical location of Jerusalem, and you know what they do with it? They say, that's a symbol for the church. Ooh, what? Ooh, Church. Oh, I thought that was in Acts. No, it's here, they say. I have good friends and people I respect, men of books I read, and I've read them in preparation for this message. Oh, why are you doing that? Well, second thing I'll say, this passage is not to be fulfilled in the church. Spiritualizing terms like Israel and Jerusalem and turning them into the church. No, no, no. Don't play those games with the text. That is a theological system that's coming to full flower, and it goes back to the Old Testament, and it does that with the text. I can't go further with that. All right, we've got it. Righteousness and justice. We're still in this first. We've got it. We're still in this little room. We're looking at the first frame, and here we are. And what he's going to now delineate in verses 4 and 5 is this. You know, there are two components to the success of the Lord's kingdom on earth. You know what they are? You can summarize it with two words. Righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. What's righteousness? Righteousness is the standard of right and wrong that's been established by God. It's not that complicated. And justice is the standard by which privileges and penalties are distributed based upon that righteousness. See that? and so what we're into now what the prophet's doing is telling us here's the king who's going to come in his platform it's going to be on righteousness and justice what is right before god because he is god and there is going to be in contrast to the corruption and the foul play and all that's going on here i think this is legitimate folks We've got processes going on in our own nation right now that are not, to put it mildly, are harming to our nation, injurious to the, the, the purpose for which our nation was established in the good documents, not perfect, but the best that men have been able to put together this side of the kingdom, name of the Constitution of the United States, and the way our government is laid out, influenced by Christian truth, to offset any power grabs and so on. But here's where we are. What we're seeing in our nation is that we need Christians who are going to exercise justice and righteousness. We, in this way. If we can get enough Christians to stand up for righteousness and justice. Here, I'm speaking to us. In respecting the rights of the unborn, the baby-killing industry is like a raging forest fire. I can't believe it's, it's, it's jaw-dropping. The people who it's it's a religious fanaticism as wanting to expand to expand baby, the baby killing industry. What? What we've lost our moral minds. And Christians who will stand up and who will speak for and exemplify the home in Christian marriage. Now I don't mean just words here, but this is why it's so embarrassing when Christian homes break apart. And husbands and wives declare war on one another and the family breaks up in a Christian assembly. It can happen, but there ought to be repentance and seeking God to put things back together again. The world needs to see what Christian Christian families are like so that it's not just some blip service to it. Also, Christians who will stand up and push back against any kind of prejudice that that takes place, racial prejudice, and stand against the enemies of the moral laws of God. And it takes backbone. It takes courage. But we can't go further with that. All right. We're still in this room. Let's go to. Thank you. Woke you up. All right. And here is this next frame in the, the next move. And this one is the restored harmony for the animal kingdom. Verses 6 through 9. Woo! what a passage. What a passage. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the kid. The calf with the young lion and the fatling together. And the little somebody has said, well, the only time you can get the, 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 the lion or, and the lamb together is for the lamb to be in the stomach of the lion. But there is, uh, this is saying, no, this is going to be something entirely different. This is the millennial kingdom. And the animal kingdom is going to return to its Edenic realities and there is going to Edenic conditions. And what it's going to do is that there is going to be a pacification. And the, her, the uh, carnivorous animals will be put into, they'll be herbivorous. They'll eat straw. They'll eat grass. Oh, hey, the lions do you munching on grass. you can going to run them and pet them. Oh, and the leopard, well, you can't outrun them, but you can maybe get them and pet them a little bit. Just like big, big kitty cats. Hey, kitty, 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 kitty. And you know, and you just enjoy, enjoy them. And he says, and the cow and the bear will graze, and the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child will play on the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den, on the cobra's den is what it would be. No fear, no fear, no fear. We'll need to worry about that cop coming out, putting hurt on you. No. They will, well, we'll pause it at that point And this. What he's saying is that you have these identic conditions, and it's going to— Now, I have, I have friends. I have Bible—I I access Bible students and Bible scholars. You know, I love books. I read their stuff, and I've got some who insist on— they would tell us things that um, just—you know what they say this is— um, they would say things like, well, this just shows us how God's going. This is a picture of the church and everybody eventually getting along together very well. This isn't, he's not describing real animals. No, this is not Disney World here uh, being facetious. That uh, this is looking to the church fulfilling these things, not Israel. <laughs> I'm left wondering, well, Israel's got hey, Well, thanks a lot. <laughs> so Israel was really tricked. They thought, how do you think they took this? You think they were looking down the way and saying, oh, this is speaking of what God's going to do in the church one day. I think not. Okay, I can't linger there, but uh, so be here. Verse 10, blessings to the nations. We get the third frame. Blessings to the nations. Here he's saying that, uh, well, in verse 9, and they will... uh, not hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There's just going to be a widespread knowledge of biblical truth. There will be hundreds of thousands of Bible studies because it's going to be an interesting combination of resurrected believers and those who don't have the resurrected bodies are believers, and there will be unbelievers who will be born and live in the millennial kingdom. But you're just going to have this pervasive influence of biblically informed consciences and lives, and it's just—it's going to be incredible. I mean, the descript- study all its own to study in the millennial kingdom. If you're—if you're 100 years old and you die, you say, man, he was young. He, why did he die so young? <laughs> Isaiah speaks this way later on. And so you have these these incredible conditions that will exist. And there will be these hundreds of thousands of Bible studies. Oh, we're not through. I've got to pedal fast. Then there is the fourth one in the restoration of Israel, verses 11 through 16. What's going to happen, and I I have to fly here because I want to get this packaged in, that what he's going to describe in 11 through 16 is that when the Messiah comes, he's going to take care of business. Israel has enemies. He comes with a sword in his mouth, and he comes to set things right. The nations, you'll notice in verse, um, verse 11, and it says, Well, it happened on that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with, uh, with his hand the remnant of his people, Who will remain from, and then it lists them. Oh, and I've looked over, I'm sorry, but verse 10. Who will stand as a signal for the people. This root, this root, this root will stand, as he said, a signal. Who, what's the signal? It's the Messiah. And the Messiah is the one who is going to be the one who is going to be the rallying cry. Who's going to be the one people will be drawn toward and seek. And that will be in the center of this messianic kingdom. And so there is going to be this uh, regathering of Israel and bringing them back into the land and the nations are going to be dealt with and dealt with uh, severely because he goes on to describe this in verses uh, 13 and 14. And what is happening here in in this vivid description, this is not metaphorical language. This is going to happen. The enemies of Israel are going to be subdued and Messiah is going to lead it. He's going to lead the charge and set things right. And as he goes on down, and we have that, do we have that next map that's uh, at this point? This is where it would, it would help out. And you can see what's going to happen with these nations around Israel, Edom and Moab and Ammon. Um, excuse me while I look and see. Yeah, you, can, you can make out some of that in this, uh, down to the south and out to the west, east into the west. But these nations. God's going to be using these nations, has used them through history, redemptive history. And they're going to be part of that setting right of nationhood so that the King Messiah rules in Jerusalem over a, over a controlled control populations. And then this one is really the glorious one. Do you like freeways? Oh, freeways are a marvel. The Eisenhower freeways back in the 50s many of us were oblivious to what was going on but this highway system and the autobahn in Germany was where we got the idea from Hitler prior to World War II built the autobahn we have these these four-lane highways and the purpose of these not like Hitler designed his autobahn to move weapons weaponry heavy weapons but this is a highway are you with me did i lose you on that we've jumped into this one quickly There will be a highway from assyria and for the remnant of his people who will be left just as there was for israel in the day that they came up out of the land of egypt what he describes in these last two verses here 15 and 16 is that here's what's going to happen he's going to dry up that if you look on a map you can see uh, yeah you can see it here see where it says sinai and you can see that the red sea goes up into two prongs one to the left one to the right The one to the left is the sea there across which Israel went, and God sent that ferocious wind and parted the waters and enabled Israel to go across. It's going to be redone. It's going to be uh, made dry, opened up, so the Jews can come in and others who seek to worship the Lord in Jerusalem. Listen, there's going to be a great rush on Jerusalem. People coming by the hundreds of thousands, and they will come up across this and come into the city from the south and to the west and then it says there's going to be a highway from Assyria, this is up north, modern day Iraq, you picture that and there's going to be this super highway and it's going to come all the way through and people will come by the hundreds of thousands to worship the king Jesus in the city of Jerusalem and it's going to be a marvelous thing to see no impediments, no, uh, no mines along the road no I- I- ID's Uh, These, uh, this is what he's providing here. Now, okay, all right, we got through the room. The video's over. That's one, two, three, four. Now what? There's possibly one psychological soul problem, soul problem. I don't know how you are when you go in and see a movie. You have this experience, and it's just been spellbinding, whether it's in a museum or it's a real movie, and you get wrapped up in it. And then you know, you walk out in the daylight, and you hear horns, and it's sunny, it's not cool anymore, it's not dark, it's, it's just, you know, you can have us experience a little bit like that in church. Because you get caught up in passages like this and texts like this, and you're looking down to what's going to come about it in the future. And then all of a sudden, hmm, yeah, my car's out there in the park. Hmm. And I, well, yeah, and it's, it's due for an oil change. Um, or hmm, I've got, uh, oh my, I've got some stuff I've got to take care of this week. And I've got to deal with some people that I'm not looking forward to dealing with. And, you know, maybe at home there's a little bit of friction. All right, I want to give you something to take out with you real quick. Quickly. One. I'm going to go out from here. This is my challenge. I'm going to go out from here and pray my way through the crises in my life. If you're that person standing on third base and you didn't hit a triple, okay, I want to pray my way through some of the crises that I'm facing in my life, whatever they are, internationally, locally, in my home. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And secondly, I'm going to live the days of... This week, the next week, I'm going to start living in joyful hope because there is light at the end of the tunnel. I'm not going to be a grump. I don't want to send the message to people that really things are really bad. I'm a Christian, but things are really bad. Hello. (laughs) I want people to see the joy of the Lord in my life in a multitude of ways. Thirdly, I'm not going to retreat into some mental and social cave and hide from the realities that surround me. I want to know what's going on. So i can pray so i can be positive with people so i can and that's my fourth statement i'm going to be a better gospel person i'm going to put a little copy of the gospel of john in my wallet or in my pocket or somewhere accessible i'm going to get a track one minute before after you die by lutzer or something something and i'm going to be lord help me to get up a notch and be more of a gospel person gospel person People that need Christ. It may just be a kind word to the checkout lady at the grocery store. We have hope. Don't be discouraged. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ who's given us such a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful hope to anticipate his coming and ruling and reigning in Jerusalem over this world. Oh, Lord, we long for it. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And Lord, if there's one man, woman, Child, young boy, young girl who's without a saving knowledge of Christ, oh, Father, I pray that they will come to terms with you and reach out with a hand of faith and receive Jesus Christ. Receive him. Thank you for the hope that's in him. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.